And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome, everybody, to a special edition of The Athletic NBA Show. I'm Mike Vorkanoff, basketball reporter for The Athletic, and we've got special guests with us. Evan Wash, uh, you have a very long, fancy title, uh, which I was going to crib from your LinkedIn page, but honestly, I'm just going to go with what you prefer, which is scheduling czar, scheduling guy. Uh, guy who makes all the games happen. Which one of those three do you prefer? Uh, none of them. It, it is it is a team. <laughs> we are a scheduling team. I have but one member. Um, but but yes, the titles are long here, so uh, you can call me whatever you want. Evan Wash, Executive Vice President of Basketball Strategy and Analytics at the National Basketball Association. It wasn't so bad. Uh, it's just it's I, I hate titles. They're also long and wordy and tell you absolutely nothing for the most part. Sure. So, Evan, um, yesterday the NBA released its 2023-24 schedule. Uh, very long. I'm sure everyone has caught up on all... Uh, I forget the number game. And there's only an 80-game schedule released this year, so I even have to do the math in my head all over again. 1,200. All 1,200 games. There you go. And um, I, I we did this exercise last year where you walked me through the schedule, how it got made. I really enjoyed it, and I thought this time maybe we could do it on a podcast. So everyone can hear it instead of reading through it. It was like 3,700 words uh, on theathletic.com in a Q&A. That's a lot. It's, it's, a, it's a lot of stuff. Uh, but so, Evan, there's a new wrinkle to the schedule this year, the in-season tournament. And that's kind of where I want to start. Uh, you guys are debuting the in-season tournament this year, which will be played all the qualifying games through November, uh, conclude with semifinals and finals in Las Vegas in December. Everyone loves more trips to Las Vegas. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, there's only games accounted for on the 80 games accounted for on the schedule this year instead of the usual 82. And obviously, uh, that had to be a wrinkle for you guys as you put the schedule together with your team. Can you walk me through how you scheduled the in season tournament and how that played into uh, the schedule at large? Absolutely. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. And, uh, Glad we're not subjecting your readers to 3,700 words, um, and and they just they just get to listen this time. So, first of breezy all, 3,700, breezy, yeah. For, uh, first of all, just I want to ease any uh, minds for those 82 game junkies out there. We still have 82 games, or we will still have 82 games this season. It is just that only 80 of those games have defined opponents and dates as of the schedule release yesterday. Uh, the remaining two will be filled in. And so just real quick on, on how that works, essentially, once we know the identity of the eight teams that advance to the knockout rounds of the in-season tournament as a result of the group play, we will be able to then schedule our quarterfinals, which for those teams will be their 81st game. For the teams that advance to the semifinals, those become their 82nd game. The quarterfinal losers will play each other in their 82nd game. And the other 22 teams that do not advance to the knockout rounds will then have their final two regular season games scheduled on the off nights of the tournament league. So everyone will still get their full 82 games. Um, 
It's just that we don't know all of them today. So that that's the that's the first one. So as far as the in-season tournament, uh, what we have created is a tournament. Hopefully, many of your listeners are now familiar with it. But uh, it's a two two stage tournament where, as you mentioned, there's a group play stage and a knockout round stage. And in the group play stage, we have taken four matchups from out from among the regular season uh, set of matchups and scheduled those on Tuesdays and Fridays in November. And those will be designated as tournament nights. So every team will play uh, four four games on Tuesdays and Fridays in November. There are seven total tournament nights. So what that means is that everyone is playing on four of them and will be off on three of them. And two of those will be home, two away for each team. Um, and what we've done with those is is really try to put uh, the, the maximum opportunity, competitive opportunity around them. So none of them are the second nights of back-to-backs. Only a limited number of them are the first nights of back-to-backs. We've tried to mitigate travel patterns around those and really protect the November schedule as much as we could to to highlight what we hope is this you know incredible new competition with the end season tournament. So that of course created some unique challenges, but but ultimately we think uh, worth it for the the opportunity to build uh, this new property and and culminating in Las Vegas in December, as you said. So what are the unique challenges? I know usually you guys build a schedule uh, with opening week in mind and with the Christmas Day slated games in mind. It seems like those are your kind of your your two anchors for where the schedule goes. Did that have to change this year to accommodate the scheduling for the in-season tournament? Like, what are the unique challenges and and that this brought to you? Yeah, so I, I I touched briefly on one of them, which is the protection of those games. So we have you know upwards of 170 nationally televised games on our schedule. It would be effectively impossible to ensure that none of those games are on the second nights of back-to-backs. It would just the, the ripple effects on the rest of the schedule would be detrimental. However, what we've done historically is we protected the highest profile games we have, right? Opening week is not part of, are not part of back-to-backs. Christmas Day are not part of back-to-backs. Our ABC Saturday night and Sunday afternoon schedule are not part of back-to-backs. We actually took that and applied it to part of that to the in-season tournament group play games. So as I mentioned, uh, none of them are the second nights of back-to-back. So that is 60 games on our calendar. So 120 team games, right? Because there's, there's two teams per game where 120 instances of a team could that couldn't play the night before and that was that was impactful because now you're essentially blocking out 120 individual dots on your board where a team can't play a game because they are playing the tournament game the next night the other thing that i think was maybe surprising in how difficult it was was because we've designated these tournament nights for only the playing of tournament games, group play games, not being able to put other games on those nights ended up being impactful as well. An example being if, let's say, two teams in one of the schedules that spits out of our optimization might be off on November 9th, 10th, and 11th, and they both have their arena available on the 10th. Well, that would be a wonderful day for those two teams to play each other because it would not be a back-to-back for either team. It might have reasonable travel. But guess what? November 10th is a tournament night. And so if those two teams are not in the same group, they cannot play on that night. And that actually had more impact. Uh, it created more challenge than I think we had anticipated. And ultimately, we, we had to work through that along with the various protections. So that was just a learning process for us. And as we said all along with the in-season tournament, much of this will be a learning process. We'll see how fans, teams, players engage with this. And ultimately, we may decide to make changes to the format if, if we think it could create better competition, better schedule, uh, an improved product. 
So how many variations of the schedule did you go through? Like on the back end before you settled on this one? So I think we talked about this last year, probably it, it's hard to put a number on it. Um, our, our optimi- our scheduling optimization software is literally coming through billions of possible versions. We don't see all of them, but would take a lifetime and we still wouldn't be able to digest all of that. So it is spitting out uh, the ones that score the best based on the the constraints and algorithms we have fed into it. And then among those, you know, the human capacity to review hundreds, do- you know, somewhere between dozens and hundreds, some you can fairly quickly discard because either the, the KPIs, right, the, the headline metrics aren't where you want to be, or there's some more substantive issues like travel patterns that just look wrong and you, you sort of toss that out and start over. So I don't know how to put the exact number on how many we look at. It's it's clearly a funnel. There are some, there's a large number we look at quickly and discard. There's a smaller number we do deeper dives on and then discard. And then there's an even smaller number where we say, hey, this one's actually promising. Um, you know, let, let's try to feed back in some constraints. And so, um, you know, it basically, I, we, I think we talked about this last year too. It's kind of a, there's a flow to it where our our broadcast scheduling team, you know, Tom Crowley, Gene Lee, Matt Bressi are creating the television schedules in, in collaboration with our network partners. We're working through arena availabilities and travel patterns. And Patrick Harrell uh, and Sage Dua from my team are, are kind of leading the optimization process around that schedule. And then we all kind of get together and review along with lots of other groups of the league uh, what comes out of it. So no specific number, but call it somewhere between dozens and hundreds that we take a serious look at. That's a very wide band between dozens and hundreds. Uh, well, you know, I don't know, nine dozen becomes a hundred. So there you go. <laughs> I imagine the like next year bed is just stacks and stacks of schedules and your wife is just like, stop reading that. Go to sleep. Well, you'll be shocked to learn. We don't print them out. This is uh 2023. Why? They, like, they, are on, the, they are on the internet. I never heard of it. Yeah. Um. So what, you know, it seems like obviously that's, you mentioned the, the, the kind of the, not the problems, but the variables you have to account for as you build out this schedule with the new in-season tournament. Um, did you still start with opening week and with the AB, the the Christmas Day games as you are starting slate as your anchors? And and why did you go with the teams that you did for those for those uh, games? We did. Uh, and before I mention the teams, I would I would just say there was another interesting dynamic here, which is um, there's something called what we call the opponent matrix, which is how many times you play each team in the season. And so uh, you un- under the 82-game opponent matrix, you play your divisional opponents four times, twice home, twice away, your cross-conference opponents two times, once home, once, home, once away. And then there's actually a five-year rotation among the other teams in your conference, but not your division, those 10 teams, because you either play them three or four times in any given year, but that rotates over five years to ensure you're playing everyone the same amount of times total. We had to scale that bucket back by two because we only had 80 of these defined games. And so there end up being six teams from among those 10 that you're playing three times and four teams that you're playing four times. Now, why does this matter? Well, for in-season tournament, once we knew the identity of the groups and it was formulaic within the group, which teams you would play at home and away. So for example, the top seed or the top potted team from each group, which was the team with the top record of their conference last year. They will be hosting the second seeded and fourth seeded teams in the group, and they will be traveling to the third seeded and fifth seeded teams in the group. That's their two home, two away. So, what happens if one of those in season tournament 
group play games, you know, to be hosted, let's say, at the, 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 the one seed in a group, what if that's the only matchup in the Matrix for this season? Because it could be one of those pa pairings that are only going to play three times that are only supposed to play once at that one seed. Well, now, guess what? That game is now forced into the in-season tournament group play. That game cannot be opening week, Christmas, ABC, because it can only be played during in-season tournament. So that was an interesting wrinkle, looking at not just the the matchups we wanted for opening for opening week and Christmas and, and all the other temples, but where those games can be played. So, for example, Denver, as the champion, um, is hosting opening night and hosting Christmas. Those are kind of the traditions of being the champion. But we had to make sure that the opponent to play them on those nights was not someone in their group that they would otherwise only be playing once in a season tournament. So that was an interesting wrinkle where we had to tie the two together. But other than that, we took the same approach we normally do uh, to opening week and Christmas. So... How do we get to those matchups? Uh, again, similar to last year, I think we feel incredibly fortunate that we have a really deep roster of teams right now that fans would be incredibly excited to see opening week and Christmas. And so, whereas maybe in some past years, uh, you're you're struggling to fill in the last few teams that that rise to that level of, of national interest, there are so many right now. And so it's, it's a nice problem to have to get down to 10 for Christmas. We feel we we balanced the right you know the right number or the right um we found the right balance of teams and matchups you know the sort of classic rivalry of um uh, Celtics Lakers of course the um, the excitement of Denver's champion hosting Golden State you know top team Miami Philly playoff rematch um uh you know uh, Phoenix on with their big three so so we we thought we sort of struck a nice balance there balanced that out with opening week you know some of the the Newer rivalries, the Golden State Sacramento, you know, getting Wembenyama's debut on. We had a lot of options this year, um, and so it was just a matter of finding the right balance uh, across those temples. I did notice um, you had some interest. I always look for kind of like the interesting scheduling quirks. So, like you have Blazers Heat right after the trade deadline. I think that's the Blazers' only um, national TV appearance, if I remember correctly. You know, uh, I noticed that. I think Memphis has 12 of its 13 national TV games from game 26 of the season on, which would obviously, um, you know, coincide with John Moran returning from his 25 game suspension. Uh, I'm sure there's a few other things that are missing off the top of my head. How cognizant are you of things like this, trade rumors, all that, when you're building the schedule and trying to project for the season uh, going forward in terms of when you want certain games and also on national TV? We, we're conscious of, of all of it, and and it is just a balance of those factors, right? The the team travel patterns, arena availabilities, the number of matchups we're going to feature, and I think that the only piece that I would add to what you said is that it's not just us. This is very close collaboration with our network partners, ESPN, TNT, ABC, to understand what they would like to feature. And we we probably talked about this last year as well, but they'll essentially share with us at the start of the process the ranges of appearances that they would like to see for every team. They'll say, hey, we you know this team we'd love to see seven to nine times. This team we'd love to see two to four times on a schedule. You know, obviously usually scaled by by fan interest, playoff success, you know, star power, those types of things. And so we take that guidance then to create versions of a television schedule, which then they react to. And so they are aware of the same things we are about, you know, player availabilities, storylines that may be out there about potential trades. And so 
So you know, sometimes we might lean into that that element. Sometimes we might say, you know what, we're gonna we're gonna put a pin in that and see where things land. And of course, the 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 benefit of all of this is we always have the opportunity to flex matchups as well, especially as we get later into the season. So if storylines emerge, we can you know change change matchup if there's a knock on wood. Unfortunately, there are injuries in our game. If a team that had a significant number of matchups on television were to lose a star player to injury, we can we can change those. So it's a fluid process, but we do the best we can based on the information available to us when we're creating the schedule uh, to to try to really get at those those storylines, those uh, those team interest, player interest, and and also work with the networks on you know what they're looking to do from their perspective. For for the Christmas Day games, obviously it's you know it's a high profile day for the NBA um, this year as last year as well. Uh, the NFL is also putting games on, right? And they obviously announced their schedule earlier. Their season starts earlier. Um, and they have three pretty high-profile games on Christmas Day. Are you mindful of going up against um, the NFL and how to schedule the games that you choose for Christmas Day? Like, uh, you know, do you have to figure out we have to slot them in at the right times to pick the right teams for the right times? Like, how, how are you going through that? Exactly. So, so what we try to do um, is we first identify the teams and matchups that we would ideally want to place on Christmas. And then we map that against time zones. So for example, you know, if our, if our two early windows, noon and, and 2.30 um, Eastern, neither of those are going to be hosted in a Pacific time zone market because that would be 9 a.m. or 11.30. We typically don't play games before new local and anywhere markets. So you map the time zones. And then we do look at the NFL schedule with the goal of certainly not avoiding um teams from the same markets play on Christmas because some of our highest profile teams will inevitably be from the same markets where the NFL uh, team markets are. But we try to avoid direct overlap with the times. So, um, you know, you'll you'll see that in this year, uh, I forget the exact times, but the Eagles are the playing. Sixers the, and the Eagles, yeah. The Eagles-Giants, I think, is the the 4.30 game maybe. Yeah, so, yeah. So Philly and Miami. So. In our case, the Knicks are playing at noon, so before that window, and Philly and Miami are playing at 8 p.m. after that window. Uh, similarly, I believe the the 49ers are playing the 8.15 p.m. game on mm-hmm. Christmas, and so the Warriors yep. were slotted into the 2.30 window to not overlap with that. So it is a, a bit of a, a juggling act to try to avoid direct competition, because certainly you want fans in that market on that special day to be able to, if they want to watch both teams, watch both teams, uh, and not have to worry about you know flipping channels. So... Um, that's absolutely in our conscience, consciousness, and um, you know we've we've been able to kind of find the right balance. You could envision scenarios in some years where it would just be impossible, you know, based on the specific teams and markets. But so far, we've been able to find a, a middle ground there. Is there any, ever any conversation between you and your team and the NFL scheduling team about? Uh, I know that schedules aren't made at the same time, but just like in terms of trying to align interests, so to speak. We we are in close contact with all other leagues scheduling teams. You know, talking about approaches, softwares, priorities, television, parking lots in some cases, right? Because a lot of a few of our, our teams, you know, just kind of share um, downtown areas or parking lots, and so like, you really can't play a you know a home Sixer game at the same time as a home Eagle game uh, in, in Philadelphia, so things like that. Um, but but because they release their schedule pretty far in advance of us, it, it's not it's not direct uh, collaboration on those types of things. We are more following um, their decisions actually is helpful for us, right? Because once we know where and certain NFL games are going to be, that actually helps guide us, um, you know, to what we want to do. Same with the NHL, right? They, we obviously share buildings with them. It tends to be pretty helpful for us 
to do our schedule shortly after the NHL because once they release their schedule, there's a bunch of dates that were being held potentially for NHL games. And once the schedule comes out and those are not being used for NHL games, we can then get those back and use those for possible NBA games. But but there's a lot of close collaboration. Tom Corelli, you know, from from our our team is uh, constantly talking to the guys at, at NFL and NHL um, about their processes. So I, I and I know we talked about this last year, but just in case someone is more of an audio learner than they are a visual learner and didn't want to read the story, can you kind of just walk through the timetable of how the schedule gets uh, made from when you start working on it to when it's finalized? And obviously, it was sent out yesterday, August seventeenth. Uh, but just like when it's finalized on your end yeah so the the, the short version yeah. is you know november of each year starts our process that's when we start collecting the arena availabilities for the following season that process it, um there's an iterative pro- nature to that process that takes place through the winter and spring i would say we start doing actual scheduling in earnest in about june once we know the winner of the nba finals which as i mentioned earlier is going to determine a team that's hosting a ring ceremony opening night hosting on christmas Obviously, the draft free agency will guide some of those TV matchups. Um, I'd say games are quote officially placed on the board, you know, in that late June, early July timeframe, and then most of July we're working through television schedules, and then the full previously twelve thirty now twelve hundred uh, games around those television schedules. We typically distribute a, a first draft to the teams. Second, you know, first, second week of August, we did it a week ago this year. Teams have a short window to comment on their schedules. We try to address any of their comments before releasing the final. So the real, the real busy season for us is kind of started July to mid August. Um, the team draft this year, I believe went out on the 10th, August 10th. Um, and we released the, the final schedule uh, a week later. What are the comments that you find to be worthwhile uh, that you actually listen to when teams send them your way? Because I'm sure you get a lot of comments from a lot of teams about what they don't like about their schedules. Like, what do you find to be worthwhile to listen to and take into account? And what do you just kind of slough off? They're they're all worthwhile. And I don't want to be dismissive of any team comment. Um, you can be dismissive. It's okay. And not everyone, you know, it's the, they say every question is a good question. That's not true. So, you know, obviously every team wants the minimum number of back-to-backs. They want the minimum number of travel miles. They want the maximum number of Saturday night, you know, weekend home games. Uh, They want the maximum number of national television appearances, et cetera. And of course, this is all zero sum that not everyone can have those things. Someone has to have the most, someone has to have the least, someone has to have the average. So I think the comments that are, are, I think, most, both most reasonable and most addressable for us are... um, I would say more structural in nature, right? So like, okay, so I, I, yeah, we've got a certain number of back-to-backs, but it's, we've got a dense section of back-to-backs here. You know, could these be spread out such that we have, you know, more even distribution of back-to-backs in this month and this month? Um, Yes, we understand we have to go on this, you know, this road trip, but would it be possible to shorten this a bit so we can get a little bit more time at home, you know, between these two trips? Like those things that are like, this game has to move, um, which is just, it's just hard for us to kind of address that. Um, it, it gives us flexibility to do more. So I think we really, it's, it's when it's more collaborative with the team, we under, when we can get under the hood and understand what their actual issue is, right. That the issue might be that's a death period of games. This period of game time doesn't have an, uh, as much time at home. We don't have enough local business opportunity. Um, that's where we're able to work with teams more than like the very kind of targeted comments that, we may or may not be able to address. We'll certainly try them. 
I'm sure you get someone emailing you in all caps, move this game. You must move this game. It has happened. Yes. <laughs> Are, is there any potential uh, part of the schedule that you're particularly proud of just from like a scheduling perspective, like scheduling nerd perspective? You're like, wow, we pulled this off. Yeah. So I, I think when, when we I- implemented this format of the in-season tournament, we were incredibly transparent with teams that we knew that this would have a negative, a marginal but negative impact on some of the metrics that we have focused on over the years. So, for example, if you were going to protect those November games and you're going to take eight days out of the December calendar when the knockout rounds will be played and teams will only be playing two games in those eight days, when in any other eight-day stretch of a schedule, you're probably playing four games because on average teams are playing every other night. We knew that that would mean slightly higher density at later parts of the season, which means you know more back-to-backs, more travel, things of that nature. And so we've talked to the teams a lot about that. Um, I think what we are most proud of is that we've been able to keep those metrics, back-to-backs, weekend nights, travel miles, really right in the same range we've been the last few years. So last year, for example, we had an average of 13.3 back-to-backs. The average technically rounds to 14.0 this year. It's uh, it's one back-to-back below that. So to, to the math nerds out there, we are in the 13s. Uh, this is a lie. Of, yeah, but This is a lie. I can't trust the NBA's data anymore. Well, it's, we have 419 back-to-backs on the calendar, which is, I believe, 13.96666. So it rounds to 14, but we are technically under 14. The maximum number of back-to-backs any team will play is the same as last year, which was 15. And one thing we were able to improve on is actually the travel associated with those back-to-backs. So we have a significantly higher number of what we call the no-travel back-to-backs. So that's where a team plays two consecutive games at home or two consecutive games uh, on the road, but in the same city. So that could either be one of our series, right? Team A and Team B, or it could also be you know New York, Brooklyn, and Clippers, Lakers, those types. And what that resulted in is actually we have only of those 14 on average, only nine on average are travel back-to-backs games, back-to-back games that require travel between the first and second. That is an all-time historic low for the NBA. And so to be able to achieve that in a year where we are adding in this new in-season tournament wrinkle, I think was probably the thing that that we were most proud of. Um, And then, you know, Connected to that, the average number of miles that teams are traveling on those back-to-backs is also lower than last year. So we were able to kind of pick our battles on the things that we thought would be most impactful to teams, even though we knew that there was going to be some domino effect uh, from the in-season tournament. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And there are obviously always teams that or fan bases that feels if the league hates their team that particular year. Like I know the Knicks, I believe, have 12 back-to-backs with travel, whereas you said the league is nine. So obviously the NBA hates the Knicks this year because it worked out this way. Uh, I'm sure you'll get gripes from other teams and other fan bases as well to that account. I And I know that uh, you have certain things that you try to optimize for every year or things that you are trying to, you know, pre- just preferences as you build a schedule. Did you have that this year or was so much of the case for you guys as you built out the schedule just trying to find a way to to put in the in-season tournament in year one of that thing? We had the same list. It, it was definitely more complicated because of the in-season tournament, but the same the same priorities were there, right? We're still incredibly focused on player health, rest of recovery, um, minimizing the back-to-backs, but also ensuring that teams have sufficient windows where they have two and three days off and they can get in practice time, looking at travel miles, trying to be efficient with that, you know, the, the sort of longer homestead, longer road trips we've done the last few years. So the same priorities we've had the last several years were still here this year they just were harder to hit because of the in-season tournament but as i said i i think relative to our expectations going into it i think we ended up in a probably in a better place than we would have projected um interestingly the, the because we kind of capped some of these things right said we're, we were going to try to stay at 15 maximum back-to-backs we're going to try to protect these in-season tournament games our ranges on a lot of these things were actually tighter. So the the range of back-to-backs being played by any team this year is 13 to 15, which is the tightest range uh, in the history of the league. The range of what we call a fresh, tired, even, which is a measure of um, your back-to-backs relative to your opponent's back-to-back. So in any given game, you know, not just are you on back-to-back, but is your opponent. So historically, you know, that number has fluctuated, but the range this year is minus five to plus five, right? So no team has... You, um, you know, more than five net disadvantage gains. No, no team has more than five net advantage gains, um, which is tighter than last year as well. So some of these things that 
that overall made the the headline metric a little worse actually had the net the results of tightening ranges, which from a competitive standpoint is kind of what you want anyway. Uh, so that actually felt like a pretty good outcome. Do teams, when they talk to you about the schedule when you send the draft, do they care more about these net advantage, like rest advantage occasions, or do they care more about the back-to-backs? Like, what are they trying to prioritize generally? It depends on the team. The, the one thing that we actually don't share as part of the draft schedule is that uh, that net uh, rest number. And the reason is because that is not just a function of a team schedule, that is a function of all other 30 team schedules and what those teams are doing. And of course, teams don't get the other 29 team schedules for review. They only get their own. And so we don't share that rest number because ultimately it is zero sum and we're doing the best we can to to narrow that range anyway. So it just there's no need for a team to tell us, hey, we don't want to be minus three. Well, we know that, but, <laughs> but someone's going to be minus three. So um, it really varies by team. Some are more focused on back-to-backs. Some are more focused on travel miles. That That's often the teams that are you know, geographically isolated, maybe want that that higher travel efficiency because they are going to have travel burdens more often than others. Some are focused more on the business side of things when they're, you know, when their home games fall, but it really, it just varies by team. Are there makeup calls from year to year? Like, let's say a team was in a rest disadvantage on the negative side <clears throat> too often. The next year, can you make up for that and have them be on the plus side? Or is it just too difficult when you're trying to build out a schedule to even think about the previous year's schedule? No, we, we absolutely do. Um, we... I wouldn't say that by definition, if you're negative one year, you're going to be positive the next. But we've had scenarios where a team was, you know, maybe the the lowest on the the what we call the fresh pirate score one one season. You know, if, if a schedule iteration popped out the following year that, that had them similarly low, we would work pretty hard to at least get them closer to neutral so that they're not experiencing, you know, significant or I won't say significant, but they're not near the bottom in, in two straight years. Um, you know, same goes for for back-to-backs, weekend nights, things like that. There, there absolutely is a, a longer-term view there because in any given year, yeah, there's going to be teams at different ends of these spectrums and we want that to balance out over time. You know, we've taken a similar approach with with tent poles and opening nights and things. We we try not to have teams travel on Christmas three straight years, um, you know, just from a, a fairness perspective. So if a team has been on the road two straight years and we still, and that team is still going to be featured on Christmas, we'll, we'll almost always work to make sure that team can have a home game, those kinds of things. So there's absolutely a, a multi-year view to this. Yeah, it's, it seems a lot of the, I've noticed in the recent years, a lot of the um, interest and a lot of the attention now is just on the rest and the back-to-backs in terms of trying to analyze each team's schedule more so than anything else. Right? The, the, the opponents stay the same every year. There's a certain alignment of games. So now it's, I know that's a shocker. I can see by your face, me saying the opponents stay the same. It's crazy. Uh, well, they don't it, actually. The matrix, the matrix changes, so... <laughs> You might play a number of games one year, that, four times the next. <laughs> Not uh, these that's, that's, we've, we've had we've had seventy-two game seasons. We've had eighty-two game seasons. Now we have an eighty-game season. So uh, everything changes every year. If if there's another seventy-two game season for the re- same reason there was one a few years ago, I think we're all kind of screwed. I certainly hope I never have to. <laughs> a- anything else interesting? Oh, I, I meant to ask you. So the new CBA has uh, what I like to call the Phoenix exception in terms of the scheduling. Right now, you can. Uh, a team will be able to play in a game on the same day that are traveled across two time zones. That was just snuck into the CBA. I'm sure everyone was looking for it. Uh, can you walk me through why that's the Phoenix exception? And also, did you use the Phoenix exception? So the answer to the second one is disappointingly, we did not. Um, what? It, All it, the- it, it, it did. It just didn't spit out this year. So the idea behind this is, is, is kind of interesting. Um, uh, Arizona does not observe daylight savings time. 
And so Phoenix, for the majority of our season where we are on standard time, so early November to early March, is a mountain time zone team. Uh, the first couple of weeks of the season, when we're on daylight saving before the clocks um, fall back, and the last roughly month of the season, when we re-enter daylight savings and the clocks have jumped forward, in those periods, Phoenix is a Pacific time zone team. There are certain cities uh, in central time zone that are actually quite close to Phoenix. So San Antonio is a great example. A San Antonio to Phoenix back-to-back is not particularly onerous from a travel perspective. And for five months of our season, from November to March, when Phoenix is on mountain time zone and you're gaining an hour, that's actually one of the better back-to-backs on our schedule, right? Because maybe you play a 7 p.m. game in Phoenix one night, or sorry, in San Antonio one night, travel to Phoenix, play a 7 p.m. local game there the next night. That's actually 25 hours apart, right? And so that's a good back-to-back. We, we color code all of our back-to-backs. That would be considered green. Under the old CBA, it wasn't that there was a restriction on this, but um, we were not allowed to schedule any back-to-backs across two time zones without advanced players association approval. And so it felt kind of silly to us that the day after daylight savings, if in or they into daylight savings in March, if we schedule that same back-to-back, that San Antonio to Phoenix, where now it's still the two 7 p.m. local starts, and the only difference is that those 7 p.m.s are actually 26 hours apart instead of 25, which ostensibly should be better for the team making that travel, that now we were triggering this CBA clause where we had to had to go get approval for that fact. So as part of the negotiation with the, with the Players Association, we talked about how we could actually improve the schedule uh, by leveraging this opportunity. They agreed and understood the, the issue. And so we put, put in the new clause that we are now permitted to, to do those back-to-backs without approval. However, it is a pretty narrow window you're talking about because it's really only those, you know, that two-week period at the start of season or the four-week period at the back end. And it turns out that none of those, you know, it, it's sort of, it's Texas and Oklahoma City. So San Antonio, Houston, Dallas, Oklahoma City to Phoenix, you know, would be the optimal ones to do. None of those happened to spit out of the schedule. Uh, so we did not leverage it. But uh, I expect that in coming years, we might we might see some of that. I, if I was a negotiator of the CBA, I would just be deflated. You spent like a year negotiating. I'm sure this was the holdup to the agreement on the CBA. It was not. You, it was absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> and then nothing in year one of the new schedule. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know if I understood everything you said, but it sounds like to me the most cogent reason for just getting rid of time zones. The fact that we have to go through that whole rigmarole. You know, my, my understanding is the Senate has approved 100 to zero, the uh, permanent daylight saving bill. <laughs> for some reason, the House has not taken it up. It would certainly make our lives easier because I would no longer have to worry about whether Phoenix is Mountain or Pacific Times. I think you just got hired as a lobbyist by the NBA to go lobby Congress. I, just on that one particular bill. <laughs> I'm a single issue voter, yes. <laughs> uh, I I don't know uh, if there's any other interesting minutiae that I can think of from the schedule. Is there anything else, Luigi, to work with going, uh, going through the 23-24 season? I think uh, probably nothing... Or maybe nothing in the the eighty games. I, I think you're, you know, just to alert people ahead of time, fans. There's going to be some interesting stuff when we get to these um, in season tournament knockout rounds and the added regular season games. So yes, I, m- I mentioned the opponent matrices before and the number of times you play everyone. Well, the quarterfinals and the semifinals of the in season tournament, which count as regular season games, those will be bracketed based on the results of group play, and so it is very possible that two teams that advance to play each other in a quarterfinal 
will otherwise have four matchups on the schedule. And so that will be a fifth matchup between two teams that counts for regular season. I don't believe that has happened in quite a long time in the NBA. Similarly, for the added regular season games for the teams that do not advance, because there are 22 teams that will not advance, that's 11 teams per conference. Uh, I was told a few months ago that 11 is an odd number. This somehow slipped past me. Um, and also what, prime. Also prime, yeah. A prime yeah. and odd number. And what that means is that we cannot only limit those games to intra-conference games because we're playing them on the Wednesday and Friday of the NCAA tournament week. And so we will have, on each of those dates, one cross-conference game between an Eastern Conference and Western Conference team. And because each of those matchups already has two games scheduled uh, in the 80-game schedule, that means that for two teams in the East and two teams in the West, they will actually play a third matchup against a cross-conference opponent, which also hasn't happened in a very long time. So there's some unique wrinkles to the in-season tournament scheduling that will come up later, uh, but they're not part of this initial schedule release. And you, and you forgot my, and this might be just where we end, you forgot my biggest one, which honestly, I think playing the, the amount of times you play intra-conference, uh, intra you know, three times or five times against one opponent, which is rare or maybe has never happened in NBA history. I don't, I don't go back that far. It probably has when there were like 18 leagues and yeah, that, 82 I think games. Just, like, yeah, yeah. But I'm just using hyperbole. Let's, let's blow it out. Um, the fact that there won't be 41 home games for some teams, I'm sure... Um, I, you know, if I was a team, I'd kind of, I would probably be annoyed by that. You know, losing the gate and just losing the home court advantage for a for a game might matter. So it, this isn't new um, because of our global game model. So we play uh, the last several years. We played you know one or two games in Mexico City and a game in Europe. And so this year we have uh, Atlanta and Orlando playing a Mexico City game. We have Brooklyn and Cleveland playing in Paris. So for Orlando and Cleveland, as a result of global games, and for teams in the past as a result of global games, they also only have 40 home games. So that that's not a new dynamic uh, for a team to have 40 home games in, in a given year. It's just that there will be a minimum of two more of them this year as a result of in-season tournament because the way to think about that is of the 1,230 ultimate regular season games that are played, two of them will be played in Las Vegas. And so that's two games you're taking out of the 1,230, obviously one in Mexico, one in Paris as well. So all that means is that if, for example, a team advances to the knockout round, goes to the quarterfinal as a road team, wins that road game, and then goes to Vegas, that team would not get a 41st home game. Um, but again, they're, they're getting the benefit of competing in that in-season tournament, the exposure, the prize money for the players, um, and you know we'll work, we'll work on the, the financial implications on the back end, much like we do for the global games, where we're, we're, we certainly don't want to put teams in economically disadvantageous positions by the virtue of hosting these these neutral site games. So um, that won't be a new dynamic. It's just there'll be a few more teams in that. Okay. I like how you very subtly just shut me down there. You're just like, just stop stop trolling, stop concern trolling about this. It, it, well, it, it, you're not wrong that it was a big piece of the uh, the conversation around the NCAA tournament. When you get to these questions of where should these games be played, right? Should we host the quarterfinals in home markets? Should we host neutral site semifinals and championship? What does that mean for season ticket holders? How many games do they have? Those things matter. Obviously, we want to maintain the best possible customer relationships. And so we did have to balance all those things. Um, but we're, we at least have some track record of how to deal with that particular dynamic. Well, now we get a whole year to see this thing play out. Um, Evan, I appreciate you joining me on the podcast, the, the special edition of the Athletic MBA show. 
Um, they finally let me host the podcast, and I thought, I want nothing more than to talk about the NBA schedule with Evan Bosch. <laughs> uh, I, don't know, I don't know what that says about you, but glad, glad to have joined. I, I think it says everything you need to know about me. Um, so, uh, once again, that's Evan Wash, Executive Vice President for the NBA, Head of Scheduling and Stuff. Scheduling and cool things, can that be go, go in your business card? No, part of a scheduling team that includes many people. Okay, part of a scheduling team that includes many people and also does cool things like the in-season tournament and the play-in tournament. That's good? Perfect. Okay, wonderful. Uh, Evan, thank you for joining us. Everyone, thank you for listening uh, to this edition of The Athletic NBA Show. I'm Mike Vorkanoff. We'll catch you guys next time. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.